Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. And this morning, we look at the value, uh, a value that sits deep in the heart of the church and one that we speak of regularly. It's we value the ones. We value the ones. I think it's really important for us in city as it is for all our campuses and, and for us as a church. But you know, in the midst of the busyness and the hustle of city life, in the midst of the distractions and everything going on, in the midst of the mess, God is calling us. Our heart is to value the ones. In the midst of the crowd, to see the ones and find ways to show value. Because every person should be noticed. Every person should be welcomed. Every person should be valued. And so we say as a church, and our heart is that every person is noticed, that every person is welcome, and every person is valued. No matter your story, no matter your journey, no matter your experiences, no matter what you've walked through, no matter your past, no matter your race, no matter your nationality, no matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done, in the, in the midst and the mess of everything, every person is valued. Why? Because God values every one. God values everyone. He looks down on us and we see this as his heart is that he has looked down on us and he has given us himself because he sees great value in us no matter what we're walking through. God sees values in the ones that others don't. God sees values in the ones that others don't. Three weeks ago today, I wasn't in church. In fact, we made the decision to cancel church here in the city because there was rain falling from the sky and, uh, and, and the floodwaters were beginning to rise. And very early in the morning, we, when I woke up uh, at my place, I began to see the water rise up on the road and during the morning, the water began to rise up onto our driveway. And, uh, and about that time, I had to make the call, I'm not going to church. In fact, I didn't make that call. Megan made that call. And it, was, it went a little bit like this, Andrew, you're not going to church. Uh, and at that point, I knew I wasn't going to church. Anyway, we thought that we were going to dodge a bullet and, uh, and we were putting sandbags and all that kind of stuff. And uh, that didn't really work at about 2.30 in the afternoon. Uh, the Brisbane River kept rising. And so we had eventually a metre and a half of the Brisbane River in the bottom level of our house. We had waterfront views for a very short time. Uh, I say the value of the house went up when we had the waterfront views and then it went down when the actual water came into the house. Um, and so it was right, but I've got, I got to say, just from the outset, we, we are so lucky, so blessed that we lost literally nothing and it was just a bit of a clean-up process. Many other people in our suburb, just tragic scenes, just to see people's lives out on the sidewalk. Um, but two days later, after the, the Brisbane River came up, it receded. Tuesday afternoon, we had a whole bunch of uh, friends and people from this church just pitch up uh, to do the clean-up work and to move out all the mud from our garage and laundry and, and front area as well. And uh, off we went working. There was this one guy 
I, I had never met him before. He was a father of some kids that go to the school who are friends with our kids. He just rocked up. He came and he walked in with four plastic boxes. He says, these are for you. And then he disappeared. He disappeared into the garage. And under our house, we have a cavity that goes into the rest of the house. It's kind of built into the side of the hill. It's just muddy and messy. I've never gone in there. It's just, it's just mess. There's junk everywhere. The house is, you know, 70, 80 years old. And uh, I don't know what's in there. Anyway, this guy, he disappeared, went into the hole. And I didn't see him for about two hours. He took a light. All I saw was junk come out of this little hole. In fact, we had to commission two or three other guys just to keep pulling out this rubbish that was just covered in mud. It was just wood, building materials, and we'd just be filling the wheelbarrow and taking it out to the sidewalk and just dumping it there. It was unreal. I would never go in there. It's disgusting. It's dark. It's muddy. It's dirty. And it's got the Brisbane River mud in there. But it just kept coming. But here was, here's what happened. About halfway through as we're pulling out all this just junk and muck, some other things began to appear. I got some photos. There, there were these, these old antique things like these fuel tins. Now, now they're actually worth something. Uh, but but I, I, the thing that, you know, I don't know how old these are. Maybe someone can tell me, but they kind of look old. This BP, I used to work for BP. So I'm like, that is awesome. I'm holding on to that tin. That is vintage. That, that is valuable to me. I think they're like worth 30 bucks each now, these tins. You know, the next thing that came out was a whole pedestal basin from England. I mean, I, we, we're spraying this thing down because we're not quite sure what it is. Now, I have no idea uh, what the value is of this. I've got to find out. I'm trying to find out, but it's from England. It's an old pedestal basin. And then one more thing came out, which I just thought was really cool. An old milk churn. Now, I, I, uh, I think this is cool. I was going to put that there. Now, I have done some research. I'd imagine it still needs to be tidied up. You can get over 300 bucks for one of these. Just came out of the bowels of our house. Out of, out of the black and the mess and the muck, there was a whole bunch of treasure to be found. You see, I didn't know there were things of value there. You know, this old mate who just went into the bowels of our house to pull this stuff out, I'm sure didn't. But all of a sudden, treasure was to be found. And there's something in that. In the mess and the muck, God sees value. He sees value. There is value to be found there's value to be found in every one of us. And when Jesus comes and he walks the earth, he, he begins to reveal this heart that God has for every one of us. And he tells a whole bunch of stories. I'm gonna share a bunch of these stories with you this morning really quickly. I'm gonna try my best because they're well-known great stories that we all love. We see in Luke chapter 15 that, that Jesus tells us tells three stories, three well-known stories in response to a conversation he's having with the religious elite. Now, the religious elite of the day don't like Jesus. They're appalled with his behaviour because Jesus goes and he talks to what Luke calls sinners. Now, sinners is a catch-all phrase. You've heard me say this before. That is for anyone who's outside kind of like the confines of God's law. You know, anyone who's not obedient, sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, unclean, people who are outside, they're known, catch-all phrase Luke uses, the sinners. 
And these religious elite look at Jesus and go, how dare he not only spend time with sinners, but Jesus would go to their house and Jesus would party with sinners. The religious elite are appalled. And so Jesus, in response, in Luke chapter 15, tells three stories. You'll know these stories, I'm sure, maybe. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable, perhaps the most well-known of them all, the parable of the lost son. And Jesus tells these stories to show the heart of God because God values the ones. You know, the first story is the story of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one goes wandering off, you know. And so the shepherd out of his love for that sheep goes and pursues that sheep, leaving the 99. Now, let's be honest. Sheep were not that valuable back in the day. I mean, he had 99. One out of 100 is not that much. You know, sheep are are not wonderful, amazing creatures. I mean, they're simple and they're stupid. That's basically what sheep are. There's nothing really, there's nothing really remarkable about sheep, you know. And not only are they stupid, but they're smelly. You know, sheep are smelly. To be a shepherd was the lowest job in that time. You know, it was if you were a shepherd, you had to sleep with the sheep. You smelt like the sheep. The value, the value in this sheep that has gone is because it was lost. Not because of its Value in monetary terms is because the shepherd saw it as lost. I value that sheep because it is lost. And so Jesus says, the shepherd goes out and finds that lost sheep and brings it back. And then they celebrate, they have a party. Then Jesus goes on to tell another story about a woman who has 10 coins and she loses one. So she gets down on her hands and knees and she desperately seeks out this lost coin. Now this coin, I'm sure, didn't have much monetary value but it had value to her. Some theologians suggest that maybe it was a dowry coin. Whatever it was, it was of great value that she searched and searched and searched until she found it and she rejoiced. There was great joy. There was celebration when she found that lost coin. And then Jesus gets to the third parable and says there was a story about, and we we know it, it's known as the lost son. I actually think that that's a poor title that the translators give. It's not about the lost son. The son really wasn't lost. He knew where he was. And in fact, there's more than one person in this story. In fact, there's three characters, three central characters. You've got the younger son, which goes off and rejects his father and goes off and lives a licentious life. There is the older son that stays home and dutifully does what he's told. And then you have the father. I think that this story is best known as, you can call it the, the, the story of the two sons, that would be a fair way of, of, of titling this story. Or you could call this story the story of the running father. Because there is a father who has sent out, said goodbye to him anyway, he has lost his son. But he continues to seek and to search for his son. And we read this in Luke chapter 15, verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. So you can see here that the father is looking out. 
This is not, you know, he's not downstairs and instantly, you know, kind of goes, oh, I hear my son. No, 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 he's on the balcony. He is searching. He is looking. He is seeking for his son. And when he sees him a long way off, he runs out, we read, he runs out to his son, he throws his arms around him and he kisses him. Now there's a whole bunch of stuff here. This is a whole sermon in and of itself, which I've preached before and I'm not going to preach now because we don't have the time. But here's the thing. Here's the amazing thing about what the father does. The father runs out to protect the son from the vitriolic village that would have known this story. And in that time and in that context, as some of you would know, for, for an elder statesman to pick up his gown and to run was a deeply humiliating thing. It was something that you would not do, yet the father, seeing his son, searching his son, picks up his gown and runs out to greet his son and to let the village know that my son is loved. He was lost to me and now he is found. Absolutely. I love him. And so what does he do? He puts a gown on him, puts a ring on his finger and says, come in, we are having a party. We also see the father go out to the older son. It's the other thing. He goes out to the younger son and he goes out to the older son. The older son during the party is not feeling great about things, pouting. And it's the father that has to go out to the son. See, what do we see here? We see a picture of God who sees great value in the ones. And more than that, goes out and seeks the ones, no matter their story, no matter their journey, and calls them back in. And then what happens? I love this when Jesus talks, when he's talking about how he's been accused of parting with sinners. In each of these stories, there is celebration. In the last, in the last story, there is a party. There is a massive party. And then Jesus says, at the end of Luke 15, there is rejoicing in the presence of, of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's a party in heaven. The heart of God is to go to the one because God sees great value in the ones that others don't. And when the other is found, there is great rejoicing. There is great celebration. And I think we could all sit here right now and go, Amen. I, I want to believe in that, God. That's amazing that God has come for me, that God loves me, that I have great value in Him. Now, that's easier said than believed, right? So we walk out of here, we may have heard that, but we walk into our world and the voices of media and our friends or whatever pile in and all of a sudden we lose our sense of value. We need to hear this for ourselves, but it's not just about hearing and identifying, knowing that God values the ones that others don't. He then goes on to challenge us. See, we're commanded as believers, as people in God, people in Christ, we're commanded then to value the ones that others don't. We're commanded to value the ones that others don't. And so there's another encounter that Jesus has in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 10. Go back five chapters where Jesus puts it on the line and says, yes, God values, but we are also called, we're invited in to do the same. And we're going to just journey very quickly through another well-known parable this morning. Luke chapter 10. If you've got your Bibles, turn to it because we're going to slowly, uh, or I'm going to work, work, work through it bit by bit. Luke chapter 10. If you've got your Bible, Bible on a digital device, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. The words will be on the screen behind me as well if you don't have your Bible. And this is what Luke says, or Luke reports 
On one occasion, an expert in the law, again, we're in the context of the religious elite, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And, important to note the end, love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. So what's going on here is that the, the, the expert in the law is maybe trying to test Jesus, but they're having a conversation about how do you summarise the law? And the teacher in the law summarises it well. Essentially, he summarises the Ten Commandments, breaks the Ten Commandments into love for God and love for others. And actually, that's two pieces of law that we see in the Old Testament put together. Firstly, it's the, the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That We find that in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Uh, it was known and known to the uh, Israelites as the Shema. But then there's an and. Remember, he put an and. He pulls in the other part, which is love your neighbour as yourself, which comes from Leviticus 19, verse 18, which says this. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. And so, quite rightly, the religious expert puts these two together to summarise the law. And Jesus agrees with him, says, you are correct. Go and do it. That's, that's the law. Go and do it. And we could have just finished there. That could have been a wonderful, cordial conversation and things could have landed there. But there's a great big but. In fact, we're going to look at a few buts. This morning. Here's the first one. There's a but. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? He wanted to justify himself. This is a very human thing to do. We seek to justify ourselves even when people aren't asking. In fact, I would say that when we seek to justify ourselves in conversations, when people really aren't even asking, points to great insecurity in your life. Just throwing it out there. I, I see this even when there is accusation. I see this with our kids. You know, it's kind of like something happens, someone's crying or there's an accusation made. We pull in the child, the offending child, the offending child. And before we can say anything at all, we hear the words, yeah, but, yeah, but, come here, they come, yeah, but, so-and-so did this, yeah, but, I was doing this, yeah, but, yeah, but, parents, do we know this? Are we familiar with this little phrase, yeah, but, and we look at our kids and they always go, yeah, but, but we do it as well. If we don't speak it, we say it in our hearts. We do something wrong. We offend somebody. We still, we, there's always a justification. There's always a yeah, but. Yeah, pulled over by the police, speeding. Yeah, but I was running late. Whatever it is, you do something at work. Yeah, but there's always a justification. And it speaks to insecurity. It speaks to uncertainty. And so we had this yeah, but with this teacher of the law because he wants to justify himself. He is insecure. And the reason he's insecure is because there is a conversation going on. There's a conversation, a discussion going about who is my neighbour amongst the, these lawyers, these religious elite. 
And what they're, discuss- they're trying to figure out is, is my neighbour the people in my religion and in my nation? Or do we invite also those who have come from outside who have also signed up? Because you could have, there were people who actually became Jews by choice. They actually gave themselves to become Jews. They gave up their nationality to become Israelites. And so this conversation was going on. And you can see it at the heart of Leviticus 19. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. Don't bear a grudge amongst anyone among your people. So they're discussing this. So how far do we welcome people in? Who is my neighbour? Who am I obliged to love? Who am I obliged to love? Who is my brother? And they basically landed, they were, they were talking, but definitely what we could see is that people outside, Gentiles, well, they definitely weren't my neighbour. This was the conversation. We, we, we seek to do this, don't we? You know, when we justify ourselves, we seek to protect our circle. We like clarity about what's the extent. That's, to be honest, that's religion. Religion says, what's the bare minimum? What's the pass grade? What do I need to do? This religious leader was expressing the heart, I think, that we all carry. It's a religious heart. And to be honest, we see it today. I mean, we love the whole ethic of do unto others. I mean, that is an ethic that is sprouted from the rooftops wherever we go in our Western culture. Do unto others, love one another, just love others as you would love yourself. Unless the other person disagrees with you. You love one another unless they have a different worldview to you. And then, well, then you're justified to reject them. Or in our culture, in our time, you are justified to cancel them. See, we love to celebrate this whole idea of love. Love is love. Let's just embrace love unless somebody else sees the world differently to you. Oh, oh, then I'm justified to just reject you, cancel you. And we live in this culture now. I, I know a I've used this, uh, this quote before from Nick Cave, but I do think it does speak to the heart of, of this, the secular world that we're in. Nick Cave, the musician of the bad uh, singer, Aussie songwriter. As far as I can see, cancel culture is mercy's antithesis. Hold on to that. Mercy's antithesis. Political correctness has grown to become the unhappiness, unhappiest religion in the world. Its once honourable attempt to reimagine our society in a more equitable way now embodies all the worst aspects that religion has to offer and none of the beauty. I want to say that we don't desire that type of religion either. We do celebrate the beauty of Christ. Moral certainty and self-righteousness shorn even of the capacity of redemption. Let me just say again, that the heart of the Christian message is not religion, but it's redemption. It is become quite literally bad religion run amok. See, what we're seeing is the human heart. Let's all be honest. We all seek to justify ourselves. We all love to say, I'm better. We all love to present ourselves as if we are good. We all do it. And Jesus speaks to the heart of the question. This man is, this religious leader, this religious heart is asking, what is enough? What is enough to love? And so Jesus goes on. We're commanded to love the other. And we do it through noticing the need, 
through moving towards the need and meeting the need. Jesus says, if you are going to love your neighbour, then I'm going to tell you who your neighbour is and I'm going to tell you how you do it. You do it by noticing, by moving towards and by meeting. And so he goes on to tell a story, to unpack. There's something about stories which unearth the heart, don't they? You know, that get beyond the mind and hit our hearts. You find that, you watch movies and you don't walk away going, well, that was mentally, you know, stimulating. Okay, man, that hit me here. Jesus was a great storyteller and he understood how to speak to people's hearts. I'm not saying that movies aren't mentally stimulating, they can be, by the way. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was, when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now Jesus is going to throw a whole bunch of bombs in this story, grab their attention. The first one is a man is on, his, on the road to Jericho. As soon as they hear that, they think, oh no, oh no, the, the road to Jericho. That was, that's a notorious place to get. If you want to get robbed and bashed, take that road. It was, a, it was a narrow road with lots of hills and crags for robbers to hide. And so as Jesus is telling the story, they're in, oh, yeah, oh, yeah could have seen that happening. He got beaten and, and, and he's left for dead. This man is in a helpless and hopeless situation. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a helpless and hopeless situation. It's not a good place to be place where you cannot fit. We, we love to be able to fix things, but sometimes we find, our, uh, we find ourselves in a place where, like that man lying on the side of the road, we cannot help ourselves. I remember having that feeling three weeks ago. You know, we were, we were sandbagging and, uh, and uh, we thought, you know, all, the, all, the, all of the, the news was saying, don't worry, it's only going to go up a little bit more. Sandbag the garage, the doors will be fine. And we did that. And that lasted about 30 minutes. And then the water just kept coming. And there was a moment of just, okay, I am metaphorically just waving the white flag. I cannot, I am helpless and hopeless. I remember at that time when we were trying to make a decision, we had people here from the church um, helping us and it was amazing, friends, family just chipping in. We were so valuable because we didn't ask for it. People just came to our need. But I do remember, it was a very strange thing. Where our house was, it was kind of on the corner. The water just was lapping up where we were and then it goes up a little bit further and people were just, you know, like this disaster kind of tourists. We, we felt like we were a little bit like in a fishbowl as people were just kind of walking past, watching us in our plight and then driving off. But I do remember in this desperation, rain pouring, we're trying to get sandbags in. This one guy, I have no idea who he is. I don't know his name. I, don't, I didn't even say hello to him. He just walked up and just started sandbagging. And, 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 I, and he just, and it was amazing. It was amazing. All this, and, and I was just like, you're incredible. You are a good Samaritan. I've never, I've never seen him before and I've never seen him since. But he just stepped in. I'm sure you've been in those places, those helpless, hopeless spaces where you look back and go, I wouldn't have made it, I couldn't have done it if it wasn't for. I don't think I would have made it if it wasn't for. People have come along, whether you've known them or not, and they've stepped into your desperation and your situation and helped you out. You know, we find ourselves in helpless moments and we all need neighbours to help us in that place. We need to move, we need to see the need. 
We need to see the need. And the thing with the religious people is that they did see the need. They noticed the need. So often distraction, so often our busyness stops us in even noticing the need or taking the need seriously. Like we can see the need, but we don't really see the need. You know that? We're so preoccupied with the things in our world but that we, we see the need, but we don't see the need. I think that we live in a world that, that is so distracted and so busy that actually we don't have time. You know, let's, let's be honest. We walk on the streets of Brisbane. We walk to church here and we probably walk past people who are not seen. In fact, one of the things I love about our care ministry here that we've been, we started during COVID and it's been going the last few years is that we intentionally choose to see the need. Every Thursday morning, we send out teams of people to walk the streets of the valley and the city, handing out water, up and goes, bananas, clothes and connection. We would connect with 50 to 100 people who are unseen every week. And the big thing for them is, that, and you see it, they're sitting on the side of the road and they're unseen. And, and people, and it's not just, it's, it's everywhere. It's in your workplaces. It's in your family. It's so easy to keep things at this level, right? Now, I don't want to ask that next question because why? Well, it's costly. And that's the thing about care. That's the thing about loving our neighbour is when you see the need, you've got to do something about it. You need to move towards the need or at least you are compelled to make a decision. And this is what happens with the religious leaders. They're compelled to make a decision. They have to because they, ha- they can't unsee what they've seen. But to actually do something about it, to move towards the need is costly. It's costly in a couple of ways. Firstly, it's costly with their time. Now, under, under the law, if they had gone and if this person was dead, if they touched a dead person, they, were, they couldn't be sure what they were going, going into. If they'd touched a dead person, that would have meant that they would have had to go into isolation. It's a little bit like if you are living with someone with COVID today. It's an inconvenience. You've got to go into isolation because you've got to follow the purity rights of the law. Time. And then if the dude's alive, then you've got to go and help. You can't just leave him. You've got to help him. You've got to go back a different way. You've got to sort it all. It's just time. I don't have time. Secondly, there's cost involved. If you have to go through the purification rites, then you've got to go through a whole process of making sacrifices. That's costly. Costs money. And if the guy is alive, then you've actually got to try and help him in his situation. That costs money. To move towards the need actually is costly. It's costly in time and it's costly in finance. And Jesus now is pointing. You can imagine the religious leader, he's putting himself in the story as we all do, right? When we hear stories, who am I in the story? Well, Jesus has said, well, that's you in the story and you're failing as a neighbour. It gets worse from here because there's another but. Jesus says, but in the midst of that, a Samaritan. You can hear the gasp in the crowd. A Samaritan, a Samaritan has, as he travelled, came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine and then he put the man on his own donkey, 
brought him to an inn, took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus stops the story. And then he turns to this religious expert and he says, which of these three do you think was a good neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. I love his answer. He couldn't quite come to say Samaritan. <laughs> the one, the one that shall not be named had mer- who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, right, well, go and do like he did. Go and do like the Samaritan. Can you imagine that? I mean, this is, this is one of the reasons why Jesus ended up dying on a cross. It's like Jesus is going, hey, you religious expert, I'm going to compare you to a Samaritan. I'm going to compare you to your enemy. You've got to understand Samaritans. If you Contextually, Samaritans were worse than Gentiles. They were enemies. They were half-castes. They were pushed to the side. They were not to be associated with at all. And there was great, you know, enmity between them. You know, during that time, a group of Samaritans had gone in and, and defecated the, the whole space in the, in the temple. And there'd kind of been, there'd been great uproar about how, how they'd just been obscene. To, to the temple and to, 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 the, to the worship space. And we read that there's actually a rabbi uh, that, that writes these words, the Israelite who eats the bread of, Samar- of the Samaritans that sits at the table of the Samaritan or consumes food that comes from the Samaritans is like one who eats the flesh of swine. And we know that Jews can't eat swine, pork. I mean, this is how bad it is. There's great enmity. And then Jesus steps in and says, I'm going to tell you how to be a good neighbour. Who is my neighbour? Well, you are to behave like this. You need to love your enemy like a Samaritan who crosses the boundary lines and goes and loves an enemy. That is what it means to love. The true test of love, Jesus is saying, is that we love the outsider, the enemy, the sinner, the one who cannot repay. That's for us too. It's easy to love people who love you. It's easy to love people who will reciprocate. It's easy easy to love people who at some point maybe just extend that love back to you. It's a very different thing to love someone who you know will spit it in your face or reject you or has rejected you, or is your enemy. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying you must love your enemy and it follows along with his ethic. We read it in Matthew chapter five. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And the way that we can do it, the way that we can love our enemy, like the Samaritan loved that person who was beaten up was by seeing every person with value. When you see someone has intrinsic value, no matter who they are, it changes your heart and that's the heart of God. And when we have that heart, then we will move towards the need. 
and we will meet the need. And you see this. We see this word pity or the word compassion. There's a, there's a love in the heart from the Samaritan for this beaten, dying man. And so he is willing to meet the needs. He's willing to take the time and change his direction and change his journey and go and take this bleeding man, beaten man, down to a, a, an inn, essentially medical care, a hospice, a hospital. And he's willing to come back and say, I'll come back tomorrow. He's willing to take significant time to do the journey. And he's willing to put his money where his mouth is to meet the needs of his neighbour. There's a cost to loving. There's a cost to being a neighbour. And Jesus is telling us that if we value the ones, if we value the outsider, it will cost us. But that's what we're called to do. That's our value. God is calling us to value the ones. We are called to see the need. We're called to move towards the need. And we're called to meet the need. That is how we value the ones. As I said before, I I love the fact that we've got Gateway Care Ministry here. It's a practical way on Thursdays that we can move towards the ones. There are many other ways, but I just want to say and champion that. Every Thursday morning, as I said, we go out onto the streets. A team goes out to love and care for those who are unseen. And then we invite them back and we have lunch here on Thursday mornings between 10 and 12 where we are able to connect more fully and provide more full services for people, not just their practical kind of felt needs like food and clothing, but also further needs and to meet their emotional needs. Hey, listen, if you're looking to to, to be involved, let me encourage you, find out more. Speak to the Beyond team. Come and speak to me. Go and see Jenny at the end of the service. Just let yourself known so that we can follow you up. We're also launching, and this is really exciting, that we're launching across all our campuses a new ministry at Gateway called Neighbours. And Neighbours is a special ministry that is going to be reaching out to our refugee and migrants in our city. And it's a real joy to have Sarah and Eleanor here who are overseeing that. Guys, can I just get you to stand for a moment? Can we just give these guys a huge hand? Sarah's just come on team in the last few months and is leading this project. And it's going to be a project that actually is obeying that call to value the ones, to go to our neighbours, those who have stepped off a plane and entered our country with different backgrounds, different languages, a whole bunch of disorientation. How can we as a church, the question we're asking is, how can we be a blessing to our neighbour, to our migrants, to the migrants in in our community, the refugees in our community, and we have them here in the city. I just want to say we have them, we've seen them come through the doors of this church. It's been a great joy. Location, Spring Hill in the CBD. So we're going to be thinking and finding ways about how we in this city reach out to that community in the coming months and years. I'm really excited about what's going to happen. There's a whole bunch of other really cool things like buses and all that kind of stuff that's in the pipeline as well. Go and find out more information at the back. Sarah and Ellen will be at the back and you can hear more about that ministry. If you want to hear more about it, you want to get involved, then please do go and speak to them after. We're called to value the ones. We are called to go see, move and meet the needs. Three really short things and then we're going to land it today. Firstly, how we value ones firstly. Go deep, not wide. Do for one. Do for one 
what you would love to, but you can't for everyone. Do for one that you can't do for everyone. You know, it's so easy to get overwhelmed with the need. Do you find that? There is a great need and so often we just go, well, what can I do? We can start with one. Start with one. Do for one that you would love to do for everyone. You can't do it for everyone, so do it for someone. Go deep, not wide. Secondly, offer time, not just money. Offer time, not just money. I really value the fact that here as a church here in the city that we are financially committed. I've seen this, generous in actually giving money to see uh, us as a church being incredible, gener- uh, incredibly generous to our community, our nation and right around the world. I want to fan that into flame. I want to cheer it on and say, let's keep doing that. But it's not just money that's going to fix the ails of loneliness in our society. It's going to take time. It's going to take time to offer time to those who need connection, need care, and ultimately need love. Love is communicated through presence. And then thirdly, do long-term, not short-term. Because here's the thing, helping people go through a hard time takes time. Helping people go through a tough time takes time. I've seen that in my own story. I, the reality is, is that, and I love being here when I can get here on a Thursday just to sit with people. And it's a real joy. But I know that those names that we're getting to know, those regulars that are gonna come, it's gonna take time. Just walking and journeying and loving and allowing people to know our heart, my heart, my character, our character. It just takes time. Healing takes time. I've seen it time and time again. And so, whether that's that person in your workplace, whether that's that person in your family, whether that's person, that person that you pass on your way to the bus stop or on the train, or that person in your apartment, that person in your neighbourhood, that person that you walk to every time you come to church, I don't know who it is, but choose the one. Do for one that you can't do for everyone. Invest your time, not just your money and be there for the long haul. It takes time. But as we do, we fulfil what Jesus calls us to do. We're called not just to put some nice boxes and do token things, but God has called us to something far deeper, far more costly, but far more richer. And the reason that we can do it is because Jesus has done it for us. That's the heart of the Gospel. Jesus God incarnate stepped down from heaven to earth and chose to love us because He saw value in us and He was willing to pay the cost. He was willing to give up His life for us in order that we may be rescued from darkness and brought into light. It cost Him something great, a cost that we could not pay in order that we may know life, that we may enter into the party that we may know eternal life. That promise is for everyone. And Jesus says to us, hey, if you're my follower, then you need to go and you need to love your neighbour. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, amen. And love your neighbour, love your enemy, love the outsider as you love yourself. Because I've done it for you. 
and I'm inviting you to do the same. And as we do that, we will make a mark on our city. We will make a mark on our nation. We are. And let's keep doing it. Let's keep doing it. In a moment, I'd just love for us to, we're going to invite people just to come forward to say, I'm choosing to move towards the need. Because I reckon there's a bunch of us right now and you're thinking about it because you know people in your life and in your story. <laughs> and you're one, I see, I see, but what's the decision I'm going to make? Am I going to move toward or am I going to ignore? And I reckon there's a decision today that God is inviting us into. Before we do that, I just, I reckon, I'd just love to create an open opportunity for people here who perhaps don't know Jesus yet. You've been listening to this story. You've been listening to the heart of God and something in you goes, oh, I want that. I, I, I don't know I'm valued. And I want you to know today that God values you and loves you far more than you could ever understand. And it doesn't matter your story. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you haven't done. It doesn't matter what religion you are, whether you believe or not. What, it doesn't matter. God sees value in you, no matter your story, no matter the mess, no matter the background. And He invites you to say, come into a relationship with me. And all you need to do is say yes. All you need to do is say, God, I, I, I give my life. I recognise that I need you. And I hand over my own brokenness and my own mess. And I say, God, come and heal me and fix me. Take my sin. Take my rebellion. Take my religion and set me free. I just wonder whether we can just close our eyes right now. Just bow our heads. And just with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you today, maybe this is your first time in church or your first time in church after a long time. And this has been a profound reminder or a revelation for you this morning. And you want that love that God offers. I'm just going to invite you to just to raise your hand because I'd love to, love to pray for you, for you this morning. If that's you right now, just stick your hand up high in the sky. That's so cool. Anyone else? Awesome. I see those two hands. That's so good. Fantastic. You can put your hands down now. Anyone else? Anyone else? You just feel maybe your heart's pounding. You just go, I know that this is what I need. This is why I'm sitting here today. I need to be in relationship with God. Anyone else? Hey, that's so cool. So good to have those here today who are making that step. Let's just remain in this place of prayer. I'd love to lead uh, those who stuck their hand up in the, in the sky just now. I'd love to lead you in a prayer. A prayer that just says, God, thank you that you love me. God, I recognise that I need you. I recognise I'm a sinner. Will you come and redeem me, restore me and fill me? I'm going to lead you in that prayer. But if you can agree with that prayer, can you pray it with me? We're going to pray this just out loud above a whisper as we join in with those who are making this decision for the first time. So can we pray this? Let's just pray this prayer after me if you're able and joining with those who are praying for the first time. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you died for me. I thank you that you have made a way for me to be in relationship with you. God, I recognise I'm a sinner, that I'm so broken and I'm in need of healing. 
Redeem me. Save me. I make you Lord of my life. Come and fill me and give me new life so I can have life for eternity. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, why don't we just celebrate that? That is so cool. That is the lost being found. Hey, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, I'd love to connect with you after. Uh, One of the team may come and connect with you. We've just got a, a pack that we'd love to give you to help you on your journey of faith today and into the future. We'd love to do that with you. Hey, can we pray? Can we stand? Man, time is flying. Here's what I'd love us to do. I reckon there's band yet. Come up. Thought you were just coming to respond there, Andrew. You're preempting, preempting the response. Hey, you're here this morning and you know you're at that point where there are people in your life, as I listed before, that you see, you notice, and you're at a point of decision. And you need the presence and the power and the strength and the courage of God to make that move forward, to make that move in. And I just invite you just symbolically just to come forward as that move, that move toward. Say, God, there is someone that I know I need to love. I need to be a neighbour for. And if that's you, just as we worship and we're going to sing a, a, a song that essentially says that everyone needs compassion, the kindness of a Saviour. As we sing that, just come forward and say, God, I'm making this stand. Help me. Help me take that step. So come on, let's sing. And you can join me down the front in making that step. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you in your journey. Help us help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected.